You're listening to a special series of Between Two Flags for UNA Canada's Green Corps program. Through regular podcasts, Green Corps will invite a wide range of experts to discuss complex environmental, economic, and social issues. Live tweet as you listen with hashtag Between Two Flags. All right, well, welcome everyone to another edition of Between Two Flags. Uh, my name is Scott Bohatchik, and I'm the Director of Work Integrated Learning at the United Nations Association in Canada, which encompasses Green Corps and UNAC's International Development and Diplomacy Internship Program. Today on the show, we're honored to have Catherine White, President and CEO of the United Nations Association in Canada. Kate has creatively and successfully led the association since 2003, as it meets its important mandate across the country. For the previous 25 years, Kate had been the head of Black and White Inc., an Ottawa-based international consultancy specializing in policy research, education, and citizen engagement, integrating risk management and risk perception into initiatives and solutions. She has been recognized nationally and internationally for her leadership in issues ranging from youth at risk, climate change, disaster and crisis response and mitigation, corporate social responsibility, international peace building, and conflict resolution. Her policy and public engagement work included initiatives on the use of civil dissent and multilateralism, integrating dissent, foreign policy, on the role of third-party facilitators in peace negotiations, and on the role of civil society in solution-seeking in Cyprus, which led to the Annan Accord. Kate currently serves as the Vice Chair of the Executive Committee of the World Federation of United Nations Associations. Kate, we're very pleased to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. So, Kate, tell me, uh, what's on your mind uh, these days with uh, the very interesting times that we are living in? Uh, Scott, I I always uh, am an integrative thinker, and so I tend to think of what's going on, what what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, what I'm working on as as a whole. Um, There are some some startling and distressing movements, international movements, towards sort of a nativism right now, this uh, closure of borders, this inward looking. And uh, in many ways, I see Green Corps and the IDIP program as the solution to this. You know, if we want to create this sense of open borders, of engagement of the with the world, of knowledge sharing, and seeing that as an asset as opposed to something we should retreat from, I see these programs as an essential part of the solution. And let me also say that uh, if I ever worry about the success either of IDIP or Green Corps, I just look at you and see as someone who's actually been abroad through the program and is now leading it. Um, In our conversations, how I know your personal growth, your view of the world was enriched, And, of course, I take that on board as part of my job leading all of our programs. Yeah, thanks. And I'm not sure if uh, many of our listeners uh, know that I I did participate in UNA Canada's International Development and Diplomacy Internship Program. I spent uh, six months in Bhutan in 2014 and had a really incredible experience. Um, Kate, Give us, give the listeners a sense of how your career uh, got you to this point as CEO and President with UNA Canada. Of course, uh, you know there's lots of aspiring young youth who look to UNA Canada as a as a, as a beacon of hope. Uh, some would say for the country and uh, promoting the youth engagement and and 
promoting the inclusive discussion that uh, UNA Canada promotes uh, to tackle and to better understand these difficult issues that we face. Well, that's an ambitious, uh, that's an ambitious question. Um, interestingly, I was speaking at the University of Ottawa last night that happens to be one of my alma mater. Mata, I'm trying to think of my Latin conjugations. Mm, uh, I'm not the right yeah, guy I'm to ask on that. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I was reminded of is when I was a, an undergraduate, I started a magazine on campus with a couple of colleagues. Uh, people know this story that, in fact, my uh, colleague actually stayed in the business and is uh, currently taking on uh, the new president of the U.S. as he did when he left uh, the Canadian Review magazine, which was the name of the magazine that we launched, uh, Graydon Carter now edits Vanity Fair. And uh, I was thinking as I, I looked out on these, uh, these young people that, um, that, that hope without stealing from another uh, president, a former president, hmm. is, is very important um, in this part of your life. The programs that we have created and so much of our programming work is really focused on getting young people into the workplace, launch successfully, making a difference in their world, uh, whether we shape it as work-integrated learning. Uh, it is an asset to the community. In other words, at the moment that you've, you've graduated, you're full of new knowledge, you have something to contribute we ought to be there to receive it. In my own career, because I had this very strange and uh, wonderful experience of uh, meeting an entrepreneur, who Graydon absolutely was, in fact, I would maintain he's still more of an entrepreneur than an editor, it gave me a sense that I really could go out there and make a difference. And I remember simply being awakened to having a network and it's it's interesting i've i i've just written a piece with uh, that scott knows about creating what we hope to be a junior green core north which in some ways will help with first nations and other more marginalized young people understand that you do have a network you simply haven't awakened it whether it's through your uncle who was always interested in the un or you know a cousin or somebody who you were in class with that might have not been your closest friend but had an idea that you could bump your idea up against. That experience for me, and I hope this is what you're going to get out of the experience of Green Corps, is, an, is understanding that you do have a network and your responsibility is to mobilize it. I mobilized it by saying, gee, I created this magazine at university, so gee, I must be a, a, a news editor, I must be a manager. And I wrote to Esquire, I wrote to the New York Times, I wrote to a science uh, magazine in, in uh, the UK, and I became a writer and editor. I wrote for the New York Times, I wrote for the Globe and Mail, and I, I entered that space. Uh, there's, of course, a much longer story, and of course I'd be happy to talk to you for 45 or 50 minutes about it. But I think to, to think about that launch, which is on my mind this morning as I think about you as our cadre, our core being deployed, is to think about this being transformative for the people that you touch, and I hope transformative for you. Well, yeah, thank you. And I, um, you know, for all our listeners out there, I can uh, 
I can certainly attest to the to Kate's wonderful editing skills, as uh, we are all familiar with the purple pen on uh, many of our proposals. So, uh, really, um, a lot to learn from uh, from Kate in many areas. And your comments about the network are um, are very relevant, as uh, we are developing uh, the final plans to implement Green Corps innovation teams, where we are going to be connecting Green Corps participants from across the country. Uh, in collaboration or partnership with some of our UN hosts and our international JPCs abroad uh, to really elevate the national discussion um, on these complex national sustainability issues. And through those innovation teams, I guess it points again to the networks that they are going to build. And through our welcome package briefings with the Green Corps participants, we have been quite clear that um, our ambition for Green Corps for many years to come will result in a powerful network of like-minded, passionate, intelligent youth across the country who, who can leverage each other to advance their careers and advance the important work that uh, they, they themselves and their organizations or potentially the organizations they create will do. Um, Kate, I think uh, one of the great values of having you on the show right now uh, as the face of the organization for the last 12 years is to give uh, your vision and your understanding of UNA Canada. I know UNA, you and I have uh, spoken at length about having all the Green Corps participants being able to give the 30-second the 30, 30 elevator pitch. And, and part of what uh, the welcome package that we've shared with all of you was meant to do was to give you a, a much better idea of the organization's programs and our mandates and what we're trying to achieve. So um, there's no better person to explain uh, UNA Canada's mandate and the work that we do than Kate. Um, maybe just give uh, your version of that. I, I'd be happy to do that. As, as you can imagine, uh, I do this quite routinely. And I will also share with you, because it, it, it will be on your minds, when you tell the story of UNA Canada, when you tell the story of Green Corps, when you tell the story of who you are, that it's tailored for your audience. Uh, one of the things that I'm always aware of when I'm going to tell our story is to whom I am speaking. Uh, so as you might expect, it might be a cabinet minister, it might be a titan of Bay Street, it might be a, a, a marginalized or racialized youth in the inner city. Um, I, I need to be aware of her, whom this is serving. Uh, for you, of course, we've already, we already know that uh, you're the best and the brightest. You've come through a very competitive process and that your job will actually be interpreting and broadening my words to your own audience. So let me give you, in, with that uh, introduction, the broadest picture. So UNA Canada is an historic civil society organization. It has been uh, present in Canada for 71 years, which you will know is the same age as the UN itself. Uh, technically, we're 26 years old on top of, older on top of that uh, because this organization was the Canadian Council for the League of Nations, uh, which for me, signals how important multilateralism has been for Canadians through history. In other words, for a grand, majestic, large country with a very relatively tiny population, we need multilateral organizations to tell our story, to move in the, into the world, whether it's our, on our grandest aspirations to be a leader for peace, or whether it's more, uh, more brutalist and quotidian a trade 
you need trusted partners and multilateralism has been the way for, for Canadians. Um, UNA Canada works through membership across the country. We have over 25,000 supporters across the country and 20 volunteer branches from coast to coast to coast. Um, this is important in a country like Canada that we are present in every province and territory with supporters. Um, that's not true of every civil society organization and we're very proud of it. Our ACNU Grand Montréal is uh, as big as uh, the Vancouver branch and is active in, in different ways. We also have uh, an important model of governance through our National Board of Directors. Our chair of the board, Françoise Bertrand, is a, a, a formidable presence in the Canadian firmament, is the first woman head of the Canadian Radio and Television Commission, uh, former president of TELUS, uh, more recently former president of the Quebec Association of Chambers of Commerce, and um, certainly uh, a leader. She has the Légion d'honneur from uh, France as well as the Order of Canada. Um, but we also have uh, leaders like uh, Hugh Siegel from, uh, you may know, a conservative uh, senator, and uh, uh, he remains a conservative activist in the model that I think I appreciate deeply, which is he has also been the strongest advocate for guaranteed annual income. Uh, he is an incredible asset to our board, as is Penny Collinette and Gil Roshinsky. Gil Roshinsky, as an example, is the former permanent representative to the UN in New York of Canada. He, uh, he's just been out of his job uh, for actually a few months uh, and is sitting on our board. And then we also have representatives from across the country, uh, uh, industrialists and, and so on. Um, our mandate, again, is growing global citizens is the shorthand. And that means through programs like the one that you're engaged with. But um, it is to educate and engage Canadians on the UN and international issues of concern to us all. And we do that in a number of ways. Um, as a part of a national youth-serving alliance, uh, it means focusing on both giving opportunities for the best and the brightest launch into the UN system, uh, but it also means that we have an obligation to work with those most marginalized and out of the system. And I will tell you in this office, we're highly aware of the importance of both of these cohorts and the need to elevate them. Uh, we also work through um, activating, if you will, what we call the UN season in the fall when we have the opening of the General Assembly, but we, through our branches across the country, we'll mark UN days from the International Day of Peace, World Food Day, uh, International uh, uh, Human Rights Day, and so on. Um, it, it, it elevates for Canada the fact that the UN is important in their lives. And I know all of you will recognize that the UN isn't simply about the political conflicts and sometimes gridlock in the Security Council. It's the fact that 100,000 flights take place largely safely on the planet, that mail is delivered between countries, that, um, uh, that um, homeless and uh, displaced persons receive food and shelter in some way, and that happens every single day. So we're aware of that. 
and our programs take on board um, the, the, the framework of the UN and its focus on uh, the environment, peace and social justice. And uh, of course, uh, under the auspices of the Sustainable Development Goals, which I hope you'll all learn during your, your placements, which really are about people, planet, prosperity. And I'd say, uh, Scott, that that's probably a good way to shape who we are as well. No, and, and thank you for that. That's, uh, I think it gives all the listeners a, a great sense of, uh, of who we are, where, we're, where, we, where we've come from, and, and where we want to go in the future. It's... Uh, We'll be working more with all the Green Corps participants to make sure that uh, they are aware of programs going, our UNAC programs going on in their cities. Um, for example, the New Diplomacy of Natural Resources, or Building Young Entrepreneurs, or Sport in a Box. There's there's many events um, and conferences across the country that we would like to engage uh, all the Green Corps participants in, or as many as we can in in the cities that we're working in. Um, Kate, I was just listening to uh, describing the board and uh, and your own position as as CEO and president of UNA Canada and, and the chair of our board being Francoise, uh, a very powerful woman. I'm wondering if you would like to say a few words to the young female and male Green Corps participants listening right now on on your ideas of how UNA Canada and and possibly even other Canadian institutions and civil society can support young women to not only pursue positions of leadership, but actually achieve those and run with it. I know we've, we've discussed uh, in the halls of, of the UNAC office about providing more opportunities for women in, in the military uh, to make you know, fe- more female generals to be making these decisions and, and getting out there. You know, if you have a few comments on women in leadership and, and how we can... How can how we can facilitate that? I'd be happy to do that, Scott. And in fact, I I um, my view is always uh, if we're elevating the the species, we're elevating all. In other words, uh, this is as important for men in their communities as it is for as it is for women. Um, you you've mentioned our work in in uh, promoting aggressively a a, a, a more fair. Uh, open um, participation uh, for women in the Canadian military. Uh, we're also looking at uh, uh, projects that we've done recently on the prevention of sexual violence and conflict, on women, peace, and security. And I will tell you, uh, as Scott knows this, that we have been promoting an international conference on these issues, which I happen to think are uh, are even more pressingly important uh, because of some noises that we've heard from our uh, new Southern uh, administration leadership. And I think that uh, um, when we've seen the marches, even over the weekends, uh, the, the past weekend, I should say, is it suggests that we can't ever forget about the importance of these issues of, of engagement, including the fact that women will also often seek to be engaged in different ways. I was talking to a young lawyer who was our volunteer, former volunteer president of UNACTO, which is UNA Canada Toronto branch, and about her, you know, her reluctance to go back with the third, uh, third baby under under one to her role, and said, you know, the the opportunity of part time work or consulting, and of course, 
millennials and younger are also looking at innovative ways to work. And I think that this is one of the, the issues that we can be promoting as well. Um, one of the best ways, of course, to, uh, to promote the fair and um, equal inclusion of women is through modeling. And uh, Scott, it's not lost on me, and I'm happy to share this, that um, having a, a, a director of a program who is a, a feminist, who is also looking at elevating and making sure that our, uh, our numbers reflect the diversity of our country is important to me. And buddy, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, yes. And I think it's, uh, uh, I've, I've been fortunate to work uh, with a number of very um, strong women over my career, and uh, I've actually never had a male boss, so that's an interesting no? fact that you may not have known. No. Um, uh, so that's, that's great, and, and thank you for your thoughts on that. Um, we'll move into, uh, we're just going to have one question uh, right now from one of the Green Corps participants. Um, we received quite a few questions, but we determined that uh, many of them would be better for almost standalone between two flag sessions, and we'd like to dig into them a little bit deeper. Um, and we've just chosen one to discuss now, uh, just in the interest of time. And it comes from Cora. Um, I'll have to, uh, I, I don't have her organization, uh, which organization she's, she's working for in front of me, but we'll find that and add it into the show notes afterwards. Um, and uh, Cora has... Um, a question about Andrew, and she's talking. Um, she says, "I've begun with an explanation background to lead into your focused questions." Um, and she says, "As you may be aware, indigenous communities and nations are disproportionately at risk when facing the adverse effects of climate change, economic instability, and development due to the systemic nature of gendered violence, poverty, racism, and colonialism." This means that Indigenous youth and women, in particular, are at, at an increased risk of violence, imprisonment or foster care, poverty, abuse and neglect, while social supports such as education or infrastructure for basic services often remain inaccessible, not only for financial or geographical reasons, but also in terms of cultural relevance. These same resilient communities, in the face of ongoing present-day colonial violence, are, routine, are routinely called upon to represent an idealized Canadian nation-state's identity that simultaneously erases lived experience and perpetuates unsustainable, often harmful futurities or nation-building projects. And Cora asks, what is UNAC's role in supporting and optimizing Canada's implementation of UNDRIP? Well, thank you for the question, Cora. I think it's a very important one, and you framed it very articulately. Um, and in fact, I think what you've done is showcased both the high-end policy approach and what it is at the very granular, very grassroots level, how it is manifest. So again, for our listeners, of course, it's the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, it took 10 years for Canada to actually um, adopt the, um, uh, the declaration. And there was a number of reasons for that, um, that that I think will leave to countries to defend since we're a civil society organization. Um, but it is important for you to know that it was Australia, New Zealand, uh, the U.S. and Canada that were slow to adopt and interestingly, uh, the countries that have the largest of populations of indigenous uh, peoples. Mm -hmm. And I would also say strong democracies that were also having these historic issues of, I think, mistreatment is an understatement, 
but also seeking to address them. So in a way, in the UN world of the General Assembly, it was a way for the Global South to rattle the cage of the Global North. And uh, this, this also turns the value of the UN, uh, I, I think, focuses the, the power that it can have in this way. Um, because as you know, I, when we talked about the Sustainable Development Goals as an example, which are universal, every country must report on them and achieve them. The Millennium Development Goals were a little bit more, I'm going to be, I'm going to be frank here and say perhaps a little bit more patronizing, focused on emerging economies, mm -hmm. uh, saying this is my, what you must do and you must report on. And uh, I think that UNDRIP is a manifestation of the work at, at both at the best, but also uh, I've been around the block to know enough that it's, uh, you know, that there are other issues at play and we'll have a longer conversation about that, um, as, as some of you might imagine going on. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what can we do about it and what is, uh, what is UNA Canada's role? Well, you will know that Canada has, has opted not to adopt it directly uh, into law, and that Jody Raybould Wilson, our uh, Minister of Justice uh, and former BC Chief of a First Nations um, group, has called it un unworkable in her comments to the uh, AFN, the, the Assembly of First Nations. Um, this is again more, a, more an issue of jurisprudence in some ways. What this would, would replace in Canada is the Indian Act, and again, you know, I, it, I'm torn here because you've talked about the, the real fact of, of children being torn from homes, about endemic poverty, and we're talking about policy. But in your lives, as in our lives, Scott, for you and I, we have to make, we have to put that passion into policy. And so forgive me when this sounds, I realize, somewhat brutalist, but if we don't have good policy, we don't have solutions, and I believe that strongly. So I think it's, uh, it's important that increasingly we ask as citizens and as a civil society organization, our government to say, how is it being integrated? How is the, um, uh, the Indian Act is, you know, if it's going to work its way through the system, tell us how, um, seek advice, um, and, and make sure that that is inclusive and there is some kind of schedule for this to happen. I will also say on a positive note, um, our progress, in fact, what is that wonderful quote about the great arc of history bends towards social justice? Mm. I, I truly hope, uh, maybe I believe, <laughs> I, I, I believe that it is true. I have seen a change in even the, the leadership of First Nations groups that we deal with in terms of their they're increasing empowerment. They're increasingly taking hold of, for example, FPIC, uh, which is part of uh, <laughs> UNDRIP, and I'll explain it, which is free prior informed consent, that they are consulted on issues that concern them, whether it's the development of natural resources, whether it's their new kind of governance. Um, I would say to you that I think that that's one of the first steps that we have to ask the, the communities themselves, what will your self-government look like? How can we look at other models for you? In some ways, 
I want to know how we assume the position of assistance. And to bring this full circle um, to the very beginning of our talk today is I'm going to tell you that I think that that's a position that I'm going to encourage you to take in your deployment and in your life, which is to present yourself by saying, how can I help? Hmm. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And I think um, uh, I'm sure Cora will appreciate those, uh, those remarks. And we always offer the uh, opportunity for follow-up questions from all the speakers. So uh, if uh, Cora or if anyone else has any other questions uh, for Kate, uh, please send them to Kanchen or Julie through email, and we'll try and get some responses to you as well. Um, in the interest of time, um, we're going to end it there. But Kate, I was wondering if you had any final words for uh, this you know, inaugural cohort of Green Corps members across the country who are already doing um, fantastic things with their organizations uh, and, and the work that they're assisting with. Well, you bet you. You bet you I do. Uh, <laughs> and she's I, wearing green today. I don't exactly. know if she came prepared. But. I am so excited about this program. And I, I want you to remember uh, the truism of my life that um, I do empty the garbage. I do photocopy my own work. Um, but less and less, in other words, I am also responsible for reducing carbon and thinking about that. Whatever you are doing in your placement, you are working towards this greater good, both of getting you into this work, integrated learning, being there. Uh, we want you to have jobs at the end of it. Importantly, we want to change minds. And we know that you are the agents of change. Um, I've, uh, I've demanded of Scott and the team, Julie and Kanchen and all of the RCs, that the outcome has to be as positive for you as it is for communities. So you, I want you to keep that in mind in the same way that, of course, um, I'm also looking after great success for Scott and Kanchen and Julie. Um, take your role as ambassador seriously. You are representing something bigger than yourself, so the United Nations associations, frankly, the associations across the wor world and the United Nations itself, the principles of the organization, the opportunity to say, let me tell you what, here's the secret, I'm optimistic that we are making a difference on carbon reduction, I've seen it. That's what you're doing. You are changing not only the environment for the, for the better, but you're allowing the organization, no matter how tiny or huge, to see that and to see your commitment. Scott, I am just so pumped about the program. And of course, the other thing is, I want you to be talking it up because we want to grow it. We want other people to have this opportunity. We want to be in the North. We want to make it international. So go green team. Yeah. And I mean, from the, I haven't spoken with all the Green Corps participants yet, but uh, the dozens that I have spoken to have just been incredible. And I know that uh, it's going to be a fantastic program and they're doing great work. Kate, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we are certainly going to have you back on the show at some point to discuss other issues, maybe uh, maybe a little bit about the SDGs or some other of the questions that we got. Um, and uh, wish you uh, yeah, wish you a great rest of the week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.